So we pass this um, question. Uh, the person has requested to have my thoughts on rewilding your mind. What do you mean by that? Well, really? <laughs> We're just, um, you know, when we start by <clears throat> experiencing embodiment, you know, this is nature, isn't it? It's nature and it's, it's straight mysterious, it's cantankerous, it's got all kinds of weird pieces in it. Uh, it doesn't switch on on time and switch off. Um, <laughs> doesn't follow the straight lines, doesn't follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And it's animate. It sort of has an intelligence which is non, uh, not, it's not the kind of logical intelligence. It's an in, you know, you know, this happens at nine, and we do this tomorrow, and this isn't the right time for that. And, you know, I should be this, and people want me to be that. It just is what it is. So, if we're really listening into that, then we've got to we've got to learn the language. We've got to learn. We've got to adjust. Or, in fact, it's really a return to something uh, that's the, you know that actually fits that. Because it's in this embodiment where dukkha, suffering, origination, and ending occurs. This is, as I said earlier, you know, you don't get to the end of suffering unless you cross the world. This is you cross the world in this embodiment. So we've got to really adjust our intelligence to to work with that, or to be with that, or to meet that. Because you know, even you've got to look at the language one uses, uh, figure it out, understand it, you know, uh, get some, change it. Uh, and all this is really control and outside. Mm. I remember this kind of story when they were trying to introduce white-tailed sea eagles to Britain. Lovely, huge birds, huge. But so they thought, oh, okay, we'll get this uh, Scottish island. They like to live on a rocky island near where the fish are, the fish-eating birds. So build these nests in these kind of rocks and trees. We've, we've looked on the, this is the kind of thing that the birds like, this is where they live. They'll bring these birds over from, I don't know, Norway or somewhere. They brought the birds over, and they, okay, here's the nest, and the birds looked at it and flew off. <laughs> and went to, went to another island and built their own nests. <laughs> Well, good. That's it. <laughs> That's autonomy, you know. <laughs> but we probably go, oh, okay, they built this for me. It's very nice of them. They've built this nest for me. I've put a lot of work in for it. So I better sit in it, even though I don't really like it very much because it's my duty and I must be content with what's offered after all. <laughs> I get all cramped, you know. <laughs> I don't really be able to settle down. <laughs> Of course, this is kind of where we live in this, in this so domesticated and, and institutionalized scenarios we all live in. 
or something lives in it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then it's a bit recognized, yeah, something does operate on that. You know, it's that. That kind of mental, logical intelligence. And then you've got something a bit more private, wild, <laughs> within that. That you, you know, it's your, it's, it's, it's really nobody else's. Uh, uh, so, then this, this yeah, the socialization process, then naturally, you know, there's certain tribal laws, and these, first of all, the tribe's only 12, you can work it out, you've got a tribe of 50 million, then it becomes abstract, doesn't it? That's just, that's the way it goes. So then it's kind of, you know, it comes a written down piece of do this, don't do that, because some the policies committee has decided this is right and this is wrong. You know, it's best, it's more economic or that, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? <laughs> and so when we, as we kind of, kind of go into that, then there's a certain sense of get kind of cowed by it all. Uh, uh, and we're operating a rate which is not nature rate. We're operating trains. You know, this is this speed and rush into this. We're not operating in natural nature rate. We're operating at the system rate. And it seems to me that, that that rate goes faster and less humanity in it every year. So you gradually prune off the jobs and make it more automatic. Yeah. And so this actually kind of cows our intelligence, kind of subdues our natural innate intelligence. Mm. You know, so it's rather like you know, domestic cow is much less smart than a wild cow. You know, so we kind of get that. So anyway, I mean, you can go on, but so we sort of look at okay, then how have we adopted that and sort of internalized? internalize some of that. So, so then you know what rewilding is about in terms of normal ecology. So, you know, you get a piece of land, it's been a kind of derelict waste factories and stuff. And the first thing, you just can't say, which well, let it be. Because it's been, you know, really highly mechanized and mechanical footprints landed on it. So you can think, okay, let's get rid of the barbed wire. Okay. Um, let's open up these kind of flood defenses so these water can move in. It's a bit of a mess. Okay, and then, you know, there's some old railway lines, we can pull those up. Uh, and then let's get rid of this poison septic tank thing that's flowing in here. So you really take out the things that bar life from coming in inhibit it. And then you sometimes you've got to reintroduce like a beaver or a bison, which is what they do, you know, so you've got some keys but you have to reintroduce them. You can't just say let it be. You have to reintroduce some wild things. And then it will start to animate. The land animates because animals are living on it, it animates. And once it starts animating, okay, now things are gonna got a bit weird at while, but they'll they'll come into balance. Similarly for our why we rewild the mind, you've got to take out all kinds of things like um 
oh, you know, concerns over time and, and you know, getting, thing, getting your practice done on time or operating, getting your practice, your meditation practice, your internal cultivation according to some flow chart. <laughs> this to that to this to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and also the, 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 the feeling of the, of the, of the when I say driven by the exteriors, See, so the mechanization takes our intelligence and puts it in some machine or gadget so we get stupid. You know, you can't even drive somewhere without sat-nav. You know, people used to wander around all kinds of wildernesses by just with their own savvy. Okay, so it's taken it out and then we really are kind of denaturalized. So, okay, so we're kind of looking at when that the 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 engine of our of our motivation is outside, so we get a sense of oh they want me to do this. Well, who? And so what? <laughs> you say that to a seagull, <laughs> or it should be done. I've got to, you, should, you get kind of you, you have this sense of. You're following some hidden agenda that you never signed up for, you know. And I should be, of course, I should be a certain way. Mm. So you're looking at some theories coming down, you should be a certain way. Mm. So you've got to take out, at least when you came to your cultivation, you've got to take out these messages, these messages. And, and then beautiful things can happen because then you may think, oh, it's going to go crazy if I don't have any sense of, of you know, caring what other people think. No, that's not true. Obligation turns into responsiveness. Yeah, there's a shift. Now, I choose to respond because why? Why shouldn't I respond to your needs as best I can? But come out of this kind of obligation stuff. No. Black white thinking, it's either right or wrong. Yeah, that's right and that's wrong. Gotta come out of that black white thinking. Things are shady. We don't we don't believe in white, we don't believe in black. I mean may tinge there, but things are shady and it all depends. It all depends. And generally you know, what we might think as, as kind of dark or wrong is often, you know, it's in a process where things kind of light turns down and goes into dark. And if we stay with it, dark turns around and comes into light. It's a balancing thing. But if we, you know, if you get upset or don't want the dark, you can't allow some process to turn. Remember, every spring is followed eventually by a winter, and every winter is followed by a spring. That's nature. Can we allow the autumn when things just start falling apart? Yeah. Mm. Even the sadness that goes with that. Mm. It's nature. It's natural. We do feel sad. That's not wrong. You know, if you look at the kind of social model, 
cheerful, punctual, right on time, efficient, you know, clear, cheerful, and relaxed as well. <laughs> I mean, get off! See what I mean? So notice too, I mean, pretty simple, notice how many messages you carry that seem to come from some higher source. <laughs> Called it. <laughs> or everybody wants, or everybody or it. You know, some higher source than, than your own embodied intelligence, <laughs> than your own sense of gut knowledge, heart knowledge, skin knowledge, sensitivity, look at every, every one of those that come, and you can kind of, of course you can say with the boss, the job, be careful with that, you know, be careful with that, that certainly we're in a system that uh, will, will definitely be very happy to take our energy, and believes in it, and somehow you, you can kind of, it's just trying to sense of, you know, well, I understand your needs, understand this, I'll, I'll do what I can. Yeah. I'll, you know, you know, it's my offering. Um, and certainly with ourself, as I think Laura particularly is very uh, focusing on this called the inner critic, you know, she's always, you know, getting this super ego cramping of our nature and with some sort of abstract theory of what should be, could be, how fast it's going to happen, why we never do this on time, you know, this kind of stuff. This is poisonous. And it's a weird poison that actually can be transmuted, but you've got to meet that and sort of almost like stare it down, if you like. Because <laughs> it's certainly suitable to assess ourselves but you don't need the poison. So all this is kind of what I'm referring to. And I would say again, you know, one can, I gave a month-long retreat on this theme a few years back because this can be quite a lot in it. Deadlines, that's another one. End games, that's another one. You know, I've got to get to this point. Yeah, that's another one. You know, I've got to get to this point in my practice, otherwise I haven't done, got anywhere. That's another one. You know, and you're looking, what are you talking about? <laughs> Theory. So in nature, we're always right in the center of our lives. Appropriate. I mean, man- hand managing, working with, and then we're not distracted by these um, kind of constructions that barge in and, and take over. Very simply speaking, start, you know, with the gut. You can always say, start with your gut. If that's not settled, got to get, if it means standing up, it means standing on your head, if you want to do it. I used to stand on my head to get stop repetitive thinking. 
It's kind of, you watch what, you watch what you shut up, you know, you stand on my head just because getting so obsessive thinking and stand on my head. <laughs> so I shook it all down. <laughs> you know? And so body your answers. So you may think, I've got a big problem, I've got so much to do, a big problem. What's happening in your body? My hands are starting to twist up, my shoulders are rising. Well, just start to move around. You know, and so, you know, it doesn't. You think well, that's not going to solve the problem? No, it will solve the the person who has the problem first of all. <laughs> you solve the person, then the person says, "There's a problem there." Yeah, it's not my problem. But there's a problem. You know, so then so we we bring it back our authority. That's why it's it's something to be tuned into. Trust your gut. Trust your heart. Yeah. Yeah, even if it's kind of weird and shut down and cranky and snarling, somewhere in there there's a, there's a wild animal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, how do we, how do we meet that? Mm-hmm. You know, and what's the meeting place where you need quite a lot of space and no pressure to change? Quite a lot of space and no pressure to change. Almost like listening to it. How's that? Like you. And suitable distance. So deadlines got to go. Um, strategies have got to be distinctly dismantled. And authentic relationship to what is. You know. In, in, from the, using the embodiment as your as your measure and guide, and you know, that's you want to regain your life. That's that's what it's about. I like to bring in the perception: the head is part of the body. <laughs> you often, you know, <laughs> body's here down. <laughs> And you could even think, you know, thoughts become physical, you know, so like, you know, have a thought, but then there's an immediate feeling tone that goes with it that has a movement that you can feel. And uh, if you, you know, just see that as nature too, just as feeling it physically, it's back in the moment, back in touch with the body so it's just a, a way in yeah just not add to that makes sense to you yeah well, one last motto um, um, it's, it comes from Bali actually where they in the houses you go into the entrance the house you've got a little passageway and there's a, there's a screen in the passageway so you've got to go round it to get in, and they're saying is, demons travel in straight lines, humans don't. <laughs> so be careful of straight lines. <laughs> be careful of straight line thinking. So learn to, you know, maybe, and hover around circular thinking. Hover around, mm-hmm. hover around something till you find a place to land. Okay. Thank you. Some mentions they just started with Qigong. 
What's the relationship between piti, sukha, and chi? Qigong seems to generate piti-like sensations and a sukha-like state. Though the sense of clearing energy feels subtly different in Qigong. Okay, well, the one thing they have in common is they're all foreign, they're all non-English words. So let's translate. Piti means a sort of joyful, um, well, it's an embodied experience. So you might get teary, get zestful, it's a sense of, ah, and it's likened to getting, you know, when you come in from heavy burden carrying it and you throw it off your back, you get, wow, I feel good. <laughs> it's something like that. You know, so we can get it that moment with emotional release. So clearly what's happening once you understand the relationship between the emotions and the, and the subtle energy body, there's a big energetic shift which is actually from a sort of constricted or flattened or into something more radiant. So piti is that immediate refreshment. It's like it's associated in the in the kind of cultivation with a, any any time when a, a hindrance that's been there drops away. We get a sense of daylight, you know, and um, and um, that has this kind of refreshing quality. Before we've been kind of grinding along, and now suddenly we're in a boat and it lifts, even for a, a moment, you know, when, like when you, the wave comes in, the boat lifts a little bit, and then down again. Um, so sukkah means a sense of ease, which is our, uh, now we've lifted, now we're just floating in that, you know, light, lightly floating. Doesn't mean spaced out. <laughs> Is a kind of contented, you know. Pity can be associated with, you know, a skilled craftsperson working on a on a piece of wood, you know, and that kind of zest and interest. And yeah, this is really good. And then they finished it and look at, ah, oh, that's really nice. You know, so that, that quality. So all these have their energies to them. The qigong, qi is really dealing with subtle energy. Gong means to cultivate or make grow or generate. So it's a particular skill that um, was refined to an incredibly fine degree in China uh, over a huge amount of time. There's a kind of connection, and the connection is really in the subtle body. When the subtle body feels, is, is, um, is kind of gently... Qigong kind of massages, you could say, or, or clears the subtle body, so you get, you can get rapturous effects, perhaps subtle rapturous effects. But um, in, in certainly in Buddhist cultivation, they recognize there's rapture which comes from, you know, things that are like just passing your exams or something, passing your examinations, you know, hey. But the more useful kind of rapture is when the hindrance drops away or constriction in your subtle body shifts, because then there's also the heart has dropped or come out of a piece of tangle. So the energetic effect is an emotional effect, and it's as if the chitta kind of resets to a Oh, kind of a generally a wider, more comfortable, more grounded foundation. And Qigong 
can help that process along by massaging the subtle body so it, it can begin to support you in your in your cultivation. At least what I'm doing with Qigong, which is uh, I'm not certainly not a master of anything on that scale, but uh, what, I'm, what I use it for really is a support for this what we call meditation work. So really, when you, if you're doing that, people do Qigong for martial arts, for healing. I'm doing it for meditation. So really bringing, listening up, you know, bringing the, the heart, the listening awareness into it so that those effects can be transferred into, into the heart. Then you get some sense of opening and spaciousness if, it, if it's conducive. So someone's asking which comes first after sense contact, sanya or vedana? Sanya, impression, meaning, perception. Um, so, and um, talk about that. Vedana, the, the, fe- the feeling, that immediate energy shift. Um, so, um, so the person says sometimes the Vedana comes first and some, sometimes Vedana is colored by Sanya. Okay, so if you're not into this language, if we look, we experience contact, you know, something strikes the ear or strikes any of the sense bases, contact. So the first thing that happens is it's felt. Otherwise there's no contact. <laughs> But mind is so quick that it's immediately recognized the bell. When actually it's not a bell, it's a sound. (laughs) So that's the perception, the immediate interpretation. So that's happening all the time. And because that gives us these normalizations, that sound means bell, therefore, and that bell means do something. It's not just sound, it's do something, <laughs> right? So the perception carries not just the perception of that's a bell, but also that it can carry this um, other meanings to it. So you get perceptions carry other perceptions, oh, that bell means it's time to do something. And then, ching, sankara activation occurs. So the first thing is the kind of feeling, but it's almost pretty much not noticed because the, we notice bell. And that bell means, oh, I didn't want to hear a bell then. I was getting nice and quiet. So then we get disagreeable feeling. And uh, why are they bothering me at this time of night? <laughs> Disagreeable feeling. <laughs> so we get the first feeling is just what's called the uh, Pali Patiga Pasa, which means just the sheer impression. And the second is designation. And it's a designation that generally we, we, we experience. And whatever is felt about that. Third Satipatthana, 
citta nupassana, does that only include citta, or does it also include mana? Um, I think manas is what's being meant here, manas, or mano. Mm. Satipatthana, for those of you not familiar with it, this is a teaching on the establishments of mindfulness. And the Buddha said this is a direct way for the freedom and freedom of suffering and stress. And, excuse me if you know this by heart, but you've got the four, body, feeling, citta, dhamma. So then that's a very straight line, you see. It's a straight thread. As it comes through body, what do bodies do? They feel. When we feel, then heart is involved. It's touched. So the bodies feel, heart feels, come into heart. Then heart, as it feels, generates what are called dhammas, which is, you know, irritation or goodwill. Kind of these heart states or heart phenomena start being generated. So Buddha is saying, then you're tracking that. So at Satipatthana, you're looking at this experience of, it's, it's, it's almost always translated as mind, but um, this is what I'm calling it heart, because my experience it feels more like touches my heart. Um, and it goes into quite a lot of detail on that. But one thing it says is, uh, which is internal and external, so sometimes people think, oh, well, this means internal, my, my, my heart, external, yours. It's a bit difficult to really feel that's a reliable foundation, because I don't know what's going on for you. <laughs> Not with any degree of precision, just about fathom what's going on for me. But if we look at it again, say internal means that sort of there's the heart qualities about just the essence of these energies, these high energies moving and, and feeling congested or opened or speedy. And then we've got to say that manifests a certain heart behavior. It's like I get impulsive. <laughs> or I feel I don't want to be around. You know? <laughs> so it starts to manifest in our primary behavior patterns which come external, see, so the internal external. Now what handles those behavior energies as they come out is, is manas, which is the measuring mind, you know? So the measuring mind says, you know, it kind of translates, well, I don't want to be here, I don't feel it says, it translates as, excuse me, I think I need to, to leave the room right now. <laughs> Or, or it does something else, you know, or uh, you're getting at me, or, you know, it, it formulates these kind of gen generic impressions, these, these things, into kind of um, conceivable terms. See what I mean? So that's Manas's job. So when I talk about the citta, I'm really talking about this because this is the this is the key to it all mm. you know, so we can tidy up our way we speak and think and stuff like that but that is really it's yeah 
but when you get to the point, you want to get into this substance of goo and urge and constriction, get into this as jitta. Otherwise, you're just putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> So they are definitely related, but if we look at it in another way, chitta's going kind of this kind of, well, I'm feeling, I'm feeling I need, I need something, I need something. What? So mana thinks, oh, it's like, need something, so I'll go and get a pizza. <laughs> pizza, and the chitta goes, well, that wasn't it. <laughs> Uh, switch off Netflix. <laughs> Try that. <laughs> Netflix didn't work either. <laughs> Manas runs out into the sense fields trying to pick some objects that will, you know, help jitter out. And what jitter, really what jitter needed was, listen to me, will you? <laughs> and, and turn its own qualities towards itself, like, you know, the growly jitter needs what? kind of a careful, spacious, loving quality. To, and that's jitta has these in it. And the, the funny thing is that if we actually, you know, actually, actually encompass our, our, our growly stuff, it will, funnily enough, the jitta will begin to catalyze by itself, you know, the, the, what, it, what it needs. You know? But we have to, the process of, of, of that occurring is, 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 is wild. And so often Manas is trying to figure out how to do it. I hope that makes it much more than a theoretical explanation, something useful. So this question is, body, skeleton, connective tissue, energy, muscles, all even, all okay, and how to work with the gunky parts without aversion, meat, in inverted commas, organs that get diseased, etc. Vivid images, and I notice mind also grasps a weird sort of attraction aversion thing going on. Mm. As, as I, I've, I think I've been mentioning, or we've been mentioning, I've been mentioning is uh, oh, what I find helpful in my practice is um, different things at different times with this dynamic actually, but something feels out out of kilter, like dislocated, actually uh, pausing, pausing in that felt sense of dis dislocation. And like Arjun's describing, not immediately going with the, the mano, the manas, you know, not immediately going with the automatic fix or react to that, but just linger and receive the experience of being dislocated, allow the imbalance. And sometimes that's enough. I, 
One thing I see, I often feel when I'm in, when there's tension or imbalance, I'm also holding my breath. So sometimes I ask myself, just how's the breathing? Not in order to change it, but just notice. Well, immediately it brings a breath just by noticing it. Come back to center. Some things are more entrenched, dislocated places. So an analogy of line drawn in water, line drawn in sand, line drawn in rock. Yeah, so I remember having a dream once of a, it was a really difficult, difficult dislocated experience and the dream was this enormous rock sitting in a stream, blocking the stream, big boulder. And in the dream, the stream gradually found its way around the boulder. Yeah, so it's sort of, you know, sometimes you have to sort of, ling I have to linger longer. I don't know, I'm always leaning to the left. <laughs> linger longer with that feeling of being out of balance. Listen. And very much sort of checking those basic things, like, am I being with this in order for it to change? Just ask the question. It opens, opens listening a little bit more fully. Or am I listening only up to the point of what I already know about this? And listening a little bit more beyond what I already know, what I don't know. And just making a space and seeing if anything more gets dis you know comes comes into that space. It's like an invitation. And I think with the places that are like the line drawn in rock, it's a lot of patience and trust. Remembering trust, trust gets undermined by thoughts like. Here it is again. That's mm. that perception gets gets mm. missed, and it has an effect. It's like um, doesn't feel like the reality is every moment is new. It doesn't feel like the reality, does it? It's in a way quite sad, you know. For, I think for children, it's more hopefully more true. But we we can reconnect with that, or just just noticing that perception. So I, I use this analogy of um, I don't use this at this retreat, but like the mind, like a like being being present, like standing in a river. And that balance is like lowering. If the currents are stronger, how we lower a center gravity into the river bed. And sometimes the water, the currents are like a whirlpool, like turning back on itself. But it's different water every mm -hmm. moment running through that. It seems like it is it's mm -hmm. continuous. So how do we allow, allow a different way of mm -hmm. coming into relationship? Yeah. 
Yes, if from water, that's beautiful. Mm. Mm. Water, is it? Mm. No, it's lovely. I, mean, I think the bit of the different water is so helpful because we tend to have a first sense of it, you know, like, right, this is what you do. This is the thing, yeah, I've heard this. This is what you do, you do this. And uh, you got to, I mean, it seems to me we've got to kind of keep worse you know, pinging <laughs> against it. See, actually, well, that might, that was a good starting point, but not quite, no, it's not quite fitting it now, you know, and that, that's what makes it so interesting to, to, to sort of sense how one might have a very determined response, indeed, but it's, it's got to listen in and keep kind of adjusting because we are dealing with energy flows, not ideas. Ideas can stay there, but energy flows are just never always moving, and we need to have that that moving and something quite actually some sort of determination that's more playful, I think, than, than work-like. And you, uh, so that's what I would highlight in that. Mm. It reminds me of what you said about rewilding, yes, yeah. because it's like it's it's. Dynamism, responsiveness. Can I uh, can I ask you something? Yeah. I had have a sense of uh, the experience of a Nietzsche, like like an like coming more into connection with dynamism. Mm. Mm -hmm. So impermanence has a very sort of time bound. Um, quality to it. Yeah. Yeah, nothing, nothing actually, there's no such thing as a thing. Um, it's all energy. Because nature is constantly shifting and vibrant. It's not that things are impermanent. <laughs> there's no thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. So, dear Arjan, getting out one's Yoniso Manisikara feels pretty hard. How can one develop this ability to keep attention turned inwards if I get the idea right at all? So, thank you. I think it's a really good, really valuable question. So contemplation, contemplative, bearing something in mind, receiving it, using uh, you know using questions to invite uh, presence to something, to an exper to experience. And I think that can get hard when the balance between the openness of the mind to the question um, has some subtle clinging in it. So that contemplative process, it becomes more 
responsive like often I feel a response comes from the body mind is coming closer to something and then the, there's a sort of deeper embodiment connection and therefore experiential knowing that can happen so that that's that's a bit like when the mind is more settled and still like a sort of water still water and then you just drop something into the water drop drop a drop into the water and you can feel the ripple effects of that droplet you know so it's very simple but if there's which of course you know most of the time there will be some degree of just subtle wanting you know just wanting to know even that that then the mind gets tired or if we're with something that is painful or afflictive either physically you know it's, it's trying you know it takes energy to be with something that's persistent those lines drawn in rock you know that we have to keep encouraging ourselves to turn towards but I, I like the question in the moment can I let this be here just as it is that's a contemplative question rather than a, a really really listening to, the, to what's the true answer so rather than I urging or there's a subtle forcing if you like that the mind mind will get tired and then it's time to rest not try you only say when sikara you know just just back up take care of yourself let the mind phase out a bit or you know the attention phase out a bit and then when it relaxes again just experiment with inquiry we can have those times when we just get inquiried out you know i've got very we and we also have different tendencies for our minds my mind is a very strong predisposition to inquiry uh, but it's not everybody's cup of tea I mean to the, that degree I think it's yeah of course part of it to be a personal practice but the the balance is different for all of us so it's kind of listening this is really listening to what the what what the mind needs at any given moment like this is lovely sutta sort of the cook and the king and uh, these two cooks and that's so the king comes for his supper or his dinner or his lunch <laughs> and uh, one cook prepares various different dishes and they wait by the door and they watch what the king eats and so they they see well what's the king you know nourished by and then the, a second cook uh, makes the same set of, you know, makes different dishes for the king in the same way. But he doesn't watch what the king eats. And the Buddha said, this is like two people, two practitioners practicing the Satipatthana, but one 
looks at the looks at the effect and the other doesn't look at the effect. And I think it can be a challenge with practice how we trust our own inner guidance. But what, what actually, you know, I want to follow and it makes sense and I trust what other people are saying, but it may not be actually in this moment what I need and how to prioritize and give credit and validity to our own knowing, which I'm sure you know about, you know, your experience, but to add to that, Arjun. Um, yes. I think what is a term that can be used in a number of ways, but um, referring to this sense of, as Laura was mentioning, that trying to inquire, like find a way in. It's because it's the yoni soul, so it's getting way into where this is coming from. And um, I think, it, uh, to my mind, it helps if you, if you, well, what I do is I, instead of, I use a kind of sense of touch rather than sight. So when you touch something, you, you know, you've got to move around. And then, of course, if you push too hard, trying to desperately trying to touch something to get the feel of it, what you get is your own pressure. <laughs> Right, so there's a certain lightness of touch that's still, you know, still making contact. But if you, what's this all about then? I can't really get to the point of this. Where is this, 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 this going? What you're doing is feeling your own pressure rather than. Because <laughs> everything is, is mutually arising. So the nature of the observation or the nature of the effect, what we're touching, right? The nature of the touching affects what we're touching, so we've got to be that that thing that finger sensitive to what's the appropriate sense of touch. You see, so and of course you can touch things with the tip of your finger, or you can touch it with your whole hand, or you could gently lean on it, or you could even just you know just pat it. <laughs> And get back, or you could brush. There's all kinds of for not things you can do. It's certainly not bam, 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 prod it with your finger, <laughs> which may be this, the, you know, the, this kind of idea we might have, like scientific inquiry, just boom, 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 drill in. Um, but that, for in terms of you investigating chitta, that is definitely not going to work. <laughs> um, so it's a sense of relational sense which we get through touch. Um, I suppose a really important thing that to, to um, refer to is the felt sense. So, you know, when, when we experience med, uh, chitta phenomena, heart phenomena, we generally name them something like anxiety, rage, uh, disappointment, you know, or contracted. Yeah, it's true. But those are words, remember, and they will probably all carry some kind of pejorative taint. Shouldn't be here. I want to make this go away. Now, if you're entering like that, then it's already you've already got something on your fingers. Right? You put something on your fingers. So there's going to be something almost like we don't know, and we refuse to know. So then that's. 
some of this stuff, as you recognize, is extremely sensitive and extremely volatile and tenacious and needs to be traced over with some respect. So then the felt sense goes to, well, feels kind of, feels like iron, feels like slippery, feels like uh, kind of like a band, you know, like a band of something. And even better, you know, also bring the heart in. It feels, it feels like it's trying to do something. It feels like it's trying to hold something. It feels old. It feels worn. It feels feisty, you know. <laughs> so, you know, then we're really getting a much more, in my opinion, much more um, useful set of references where the word inquiry suddenly kind of seems a little bit too, too kind of intellectual. I call it exploring, exploration of phenomena. The felt sense gives you, what does it feel like? What's there any image that comes to mind? Pops up. These will all be clues. And sometimes you've got to ping against it to, it feels kind of, kind of furry or sticky, uh, something like that. And then, uh, well, what is it, what, what's it trying to do? It's trying to hold something or protect or defend something. Oh, what's it trying to defend? Or something that, oh, it's too tender. That's why it's trying to defend it. So they're even more careful not smash through this <laughs> defense system, <laughs> which is get gripping, you know. It's sort of like, so, so it can be very, like, um, instead of close-up microscopic, but actually big-picture feeling. The old feeling of this feels very old and something quite haunting about it. Don't let me put ideas in your mind. You know. Because also this feels kind of joyful and, and, and childlike. You know, so you can also get other senses. Um I suppose the last thing I'd say about it is also when we say proper distance. Again our our default for attention is go right up close. And I think I mentioned this before, you know, to investigate something you really get, because that's what you probably do. But that isn't always appropriate, because you can just be sticking your finger right on a red-hot point <laughs> or something that jumps back. So some things you've got to, this is a bit too hot, let's step back here. And how do I do that? Well, I can feel this kind of, really funny feeling down somewhere near my hip. Let's see, just come up to my shoulder. Just kind of feel it there. In a sense, can I sense any resonances from that place you know, that seem to you know, stay there? Just sensing the kind of resonances from a more uh, less poignant striking place because some things, we just get overwhelmed by them.
So these, these are all ways in which I, I use these forms, these senses. <sighs> yeah. Um, they definitely should include the observer. So if just another example, if you bear with me, you know, I think I was getting this sense of what's really important. What's the most, some, somebody's saying, just kind of bring to mind the most, what's the most important thing. Most important thing. Hmm. What's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? The most important thing. What's the most important thing? Most important. I've really got to find out what's the most important thing. And then it's always most important. Relax. That's the most important thing. Good point to end the evening, got it? <laughs>